who do you turn to for advice? Sometimes your best friend's brother's cousin's aunt just isn't good enough. What then? Ask Sarah. In the same tradition of Dear Abby, Sarah is a gently blunt, practical, and wise advisor who brings with her a wealth of personal and professional knowledge coupled with gentle humor. Sarah offers inspiration and advice to help you live more fully and powerfully in your own life. Tune in every day to connect with the information and ideas you need to hear. Well, hello and welcome to another segment of Sarah Says. I am Sarah Zink, and of course, I am delighted to be here again today. You know, one of my favorite sayings is you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So be very, very, very careful about how you spend your time. And I'm passionate about our short lives, and we're dust, and one minute we're here, and the next minute we're gone. And so we've really got to ring, I believe, every ounce of joy and passion and pleasure and and productivity and purpose and all of the good things, all of the important things. We, We need to wring that out of every single second of every single day. And so, uh, one of my friends uh, has written several books, and uh, the book that we're going to talk about today is called It's 6 a.m. and I'm Already Behind, 30 Strategies to Get Caught Up in a Crazy Busy World. Essentially, this is about um, your time, your time management. And her name is Lauren Midgley, and she is uh, brilliant in terms of this particular topic and several others, and she's agreed to make some time to join us today. So if you would, let's welcome her to the show. Lauren, thank you so much for making time to be with me today. Sarah, I am thrilled to be here. Well, I have to tell you, I gave a very brief introduction, and most of it was personal, my good friend, and how much I liked you, so it probably ought to, uh, it would behoove us if you were to establish some professional credentials as well. All right, well, let me jump in with that. I call myself the time behaviorist, because I like to think about how people use their time and the behavior toward time. I'm a business consultant, as well as an author and a professional speaker. Uh, live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, single mom to two college-age kids, started my company in 2010 after a 25-plus year career in corporate. And um, that was really where I learned you know, my failings, if you will, with time and that I needed to get better about it in uh, starting my own business because at that point I didn't have the boss telling me what I needed to do. I needed to figure it out. And as I looked around and thought about it, it was those that really mastered their time that were doing well. And isn't that the funniest thing in that we learn how to tell time at an early age, but nobody teaches us what to do with it. We just have schedules, places we have to be, and deadlines. But there's not really this art and science of of mastering our time. And as you said, um, you know, we get into the corporate world and – if you're lucky, you might have a good manager who mentors, coaches, or connects you with ideas on how to do your time better, but that's not usually what happens. So because of our time and the limitations that we have, I want to jump into your book. You start, uh, I like how you start out early in the book about talking uh, about the belief system of time. And so if you would, let's just start off the discussion about your thoughts on how my belief system about my time is going to impact how I use my time. 
I'm more than happy to do that. And I, I call it the relationship with time or the belief system that we have with time. And because if you think about it, sir, and we didn't go to time management 101 school. We, you know, figured out time either from our parents. We figured it out from work. We figured out what worked, didn't work. We created habits, if you will, that um, either serve us or don't serve us. But ultimately what happens is that we – uh, figure out our own recipe, and um, you know I, I think it's one of those things of how do we, how, uh, what are we busy doing? You know, what are we busy doing, if you will, right? And think about all the times that you've gotten things done, um, and in in a timely fashion, in the time that you wanted to get it done, and you feel good, right? And then think mm-hmm. about all the times where you're overwhelmed, you're frustrated, you've got so many things, and then what happens? We kind of beat ourselves up. On, on how we, you know, how we approach that time. And we have high anxiety, and we actually become a lot less productive. So I'm a big believer that we need to know personally our patterns and our, you know, how we approach time and where we learned about it and, you know, kind of like our behavior with time, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I think in your book you make a great example about how we enter into – the time management productivity scenario with certain beliefs and thoughts. And you say, uh, you know, what we may have learned from our parents, but do you also believe that the habits we build up over time? Because again, nobody's taught us really how to manage time. We either are passionate about time management or we just surrender and feel it like we're victims. Would you agree to that? I do, because here's, I mean, the example I give in the book was this lady by the name of Catherine, and she, her whole life, she was never on time. Everybody around her accepted the fact that she was not an on-time person, and she made everybody wait. And the deal was, she honestly believed deep down inside, Sarah, that she couldn't be on time. And she and I worked together, and I was like, we've got to look at that belief, we've got to change it, because... In fact, you can be on time. So we kind of dissected it a little bit and looked at what was causing her to not be on time, right? And, you know, what were her actions and or what were her behaviors, right? And But I said to her, but here's the most important thing about not being on time as an example, and that is people don't trust you. At the core level, you know, if you can't show up on time, you're not respectful to other people, and, in, in, you know, they don't trust you then, right? Which is, I, I explained to her, I said, that's not, that's not how you want to live your life. So we began working through the small wins or the small micro-commitments that she could make that she ultimately built success and she changed her pattern. Well, and you did, I think, just nail something that is another good example of the beliefs that come into play when we're trying to manage our time. And you and I both feel passionately about this. So if you're listening, let me just tell you, you're not going to find uh, two women here today who are going to coddle you about how the world is so evil and it sucks your time. You are completely and responsibly total for your time, for good or bad. If if you feel like you don't have enough time, then it's your time management skills. It's not your neighbor, your kids, or your boss, or anybody else. It's you. I mean, you own your time. You you have that capacity to control it. But what you just said, I mean, we talk about capacity for time, and I think you've, you've brought up a good point. Some people are saying yes, because 
they don't want to disappoint other people, but they do anyway because they've said yes to something they don't have the capacity to fulfill. So will you talk about, and I think it's on page 69 in your book, it's a strategy that you outline about know your daily capacity. Will you will you elaborate on that? I, I think that's a very powerful tool. Yeah, thanks. Um, and it's one of my favorite strategies actually in the book that you've hit, uh, you've requested me to talk about. And that is that, you know, there's, as we go through our day, we know we're going to get stuff done. And as we go through our day, we know we have what I call some immovable appointments or commitments, things that we know for sure that we need to get done that day. And, you know, I call them non-negotiable, have to get them done, right? And so, what happens is we actually will look at our to-do list and we'll get overwhelmed because we're trying to, let's say, accomplish eight hours worth of tasks in a smaller period of time that we actually have available. And the example here is if I'm on the call with you and I'm fully present for an hour, I have a client call following our call and I'll be fully present on the phone with her for a half an hour. And I know that I have a a one-and-a-half-hour commitment this afternoon. So if we add all that up, it would be a total of three hours. Well, my capacity for getting other things done, other than the three things I just described, is, let's say, five hours if I'm working an eight-hour day, right? And what happens, though, is we believe or we set ourselves up each day in a bad way where we look at our list and we try to accomplish eight hours worth of things in five hours and therefore we get overwhelmed. And so my belief, Sarah, is we need to start out our day and say, what's my capacity of time today? Okay, I've got these three commitments representing, you know, three hours, right? Um, And so if I look at my to-do list, then I need to pick off the things that really are most important that I need to get done in the remaining five hours that I have. Because Because most of the time, wouldn't you also agree that in many cases we are not taking into account, and again, folks, if you're listening, this is all on you. Really, you've got to start paying attention because we don't take into account after a meeting, you've got 30 minutes of action items at least to make notes and follow up emails and all that. And we're we're scheduling appointments back to back. We're scheduling conference calls back to back. We... um, as you say, we look at a day and we think we have eight hours, but the reality is when you consider the the handicap, in a sense, of other people's schedule and the fact that we're going to go to the bathroom and we've got to make copies and we're going to have coffee and we've got, got to eat lunch, that we're not really yeah. thinking – we're thinking we have eight hours of productivity, but the reality is we might have four hours to actually get things done, and the rest is just housekeeping. Right. That is absolutely, absolutely. And so it's one of those things that, you know, here's my belief is that we set ourselves up to fail every day and we need to change that. We need to change that re- belief and we need to reframe it. And as you said, it's on us to do it because if we allow our schedule to be back to back, which is what I did uh, for many years in corporate when I had my corporate you know, job, um, I didn't have any breathing room. And so I was truly overwhelmed. I was frustrated, but it was on me because I allowed that schedule to happen. Right? And here's how and I, so I one, this, would one, you agree that when you look at someone who's out of control time wise, I always question their ability to handle other things. <laughs> it's true. It's true. 
it absolutely. I mean, if you can't manage your own time, it's a fun wall. Yeah, right, right. And 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 so the you know like a starting place for someone that I work with that is so out of control on time is really two things. One, I look at do they have any white space in their calendar, right? Number one, and number two, are they really realistic about how long it takes to get things done? And generally, they're not. Meaning they'll overcommit, they'll overpromise, and then then they wonder why at the end of the day they're mentally fatigued, physically fatigued. But it's kind of you've brought it on yourself. So it's kind of so my one of the factors that I'm a big believer of, Sarah, is how can we do less, but really get the most important things done. Exactly. And I, like, and I have five, you talk about that in your book, and I right. I love how you actually talk about that. So I, I'm a believer that you know there's five words, and that is what matters most right now, because you know if if you're at a high anxiety level, right, you're overwhelmed, you're frustrated, and all you can think about is all the things you have to do. I can assure you, you are not operating at 100% brain power to be productive with the tasks that you have, right? And so it's kind of one of those things that if you are operating at that high intensity level, it, you know, it, a little internal tension is good because that helps you get things done, right? But if you're, you know, beyond the scope on that and you're like running around with a chicken like your head cut off, it, it, it's one of those things that you've got to tap the brake and say, stop, really, what do I absolutely need to get done today? And my belief is you can do less and actually get more important things done. Absolutely. Now, again, because of our limitations on time, I want to be sure we run through some of the other strategies that you talk about. And one of the ones that I struggle with, uh, I'm getting better, but I, I am like a child. I hate to sleep. I hate to sleep. I just feel like it's such a waste of my time. But it is so critical. And getting the right amount of sleep when your body needs it, and it all matters. So you you talk, there's a phrase that you used in one of our email exchanges that I loved, and it said, accepting that the night before begins the next day. Will you elaborate on that? Yes. So my belief is, you know, there's uh, that a lot of people believe that the day begins when they wake up. It's six in the morning, it's seven, whatever time you wake up. And I say, let's reframe that because the day really begins the night before. So let's say you consistently go to bed at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, whatever, or 12 o'clock or whatever the time is, it doesn't matter. That's when your day really begins because if you have a good restorative sleep, with the right number of hours, and you wake up, you're ready to take on the day. But if, in fact, you've not set that, let's say, the environment, the pattern for good sleep, you're going to wake up, you're going to have fewer hours that you have slept. It probably wasn't restorative. You may have woken in the middle of the night thinking about all the things that you need to do. And when you actually wake up, you then need let's say, massive amount of coffee. I know, Sarah. Uh, (laughs) I always need coffee. We all need coffee. But it's kind of one of those things, how can you set yourself up to be the most productive when you wake up? Because at that point, you know, know, your day has already begun, let's say, six, seven, eight hours before. It's really, really powerful to get that sleep. Because if if you've gotten that sleep, 
you know, your coping mechanism to take on the day and get things done. And your brain power is as operating at maximum, you know, power, if you will. Yes, yes. The other thing that you and I both agree on, and, and I think that is what helps us be as productive as we are, is embracing our own patterns of productivity. I I get up at 5 or 5.30 in the morning, and 9 or 10 is my midday, and by 3 in the afternoon, that's that's the end of my work day or my mental productivity, I should say. I work well beyond that, but uh, but be knowing that that's when I set my tasks is in the morning when I first get up. But some people are not productive in the morning; they're more productive in the afternoon. So, will you talk about the power? Uh, I believe you had at one point called it, you know, knowing our personal recipe for productivity and how powerful that can make us. It's huge because it allows you to do less. Meaning that if you match up the task with let's call it the time of day when you are the most productive for that type of task, you are actually going to spend less time to get that task done. Now, I'll give you an example. If you were to give me a report to do at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Excel spreadsheet, lots of numbers, lots of formulas, lots of detail, I can tell you, you, I would probably give it back to you at 5 o'clock with errors. If you gave that, and, and I'd spend an hour on doing it, if you gave it to me at, you know, my most productive time for details, like 6 to 8 in the morning, I could probably knock it out in a half an hour. It would be error-free, and I would be proud to send it to you. So here's the example. If you came to me, you were my boss, or you were a client, and you said, I needed this in the afternoon, I can assure you, Sarah, I would do what I call light negotiating. I'd say, Sarah, I can send this to you at 5 today. However, I would really rather show up with my best work. Would it be okay if I send it to you by 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? And nine times out of ten, they're going to say fine, because most people set a deadline just to set a deadline unless, of course, there's – we don't teach to exceptions, so most of the time people are doing it that way. Right, and so if I'm mad, if I know that that's when I'm most productive to do detail and do it well – then I need that it, it's back on me again. I need to find the words, you know, appropriately in a you know respectful way to do that light negotiating. And if I know if if I do it in the afternoon, it's going to take me an hour. If I do it in the morning, it's going to take me a half an hour because I'm more fresh. Then truly, then I have spent less time doing that that task. And what I find a lot of times, Sarah, is most people. I don't want to use the word clueless, but I'm going to use it. They they just take on tasks. They do them all day long without intention and thought as to when is the best time to do that. So the other example is I can get on the phone in the afternoon, make phone calls, and talk to people and not need my, my major detail productive brain. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. the best time for me to do that task. But oftentimes – we begin our day without intention and understanding our recipe. When's the best time for me really to get this done? Well, and I will and assure you, you can get. You can, oh no, you go. go. I was going to say you can get more done, you know, in truly less time, um, just by being more intentional. And I think also for those who are listening, we we as a culture have 
identified when everybody should be so productive, which is like whenever I need you to do something. And that's, that's just so unrealistic. And I think as we begin to embrace knowing our own productivity and we help others understand that, and as you say, we ask for grace, we, we juggle for scheduling, you know, accommodations, that kind of stuff. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm confident that, that, more of us would discover that we can be more productive. Now, I also would like to talk in the, the little bit of time we have left about managing distractions and uh, building our ability to focus. And I think I, I've taught this before, and I hope you agree with me. You know, we think that we can multitask, particularly when we're younger, and uh, brain studies will tell you that the reason that you think that is because the synapses in your brain are firing faster when you're younger. And when you get older, they don't fire quite so fast. So you may feel like you're multitasking, but you're not. You're just shifting quickly from task to task. But the older, it get, the older we get, Lauren, I think it shifts from multitasking to messy tasking. <laughs> yes. That's a good word. That's a good word. Yes. Yes. And, and so what happens with that, though, is is asking yourself the question, what is what are my major distractions? It could be email, it could be phone, it could be kids, it could be husband, it could be and, and so it's you're not ever gonna get rid of the distractions, but it's it's figuring out number one, what they are, and then number one two, what's your response as to how to handle those um, in the best way that you can, if you will. Um, I'll give you an example. I had a um, lady that was in one of my speaking sessions, and she said, I can't shut my door to my office because I'm afraid I'm going to offend everybody else in the office if my door is closed. And I said to her, I said, well, which is more important, you know, getting your work done effectively or offending the people? And she kind of looked at me and I said, you know, there's different ways that you can handle that. You could put a sign on your door and say, working on a project, 1 to 3 p.m., you know, hold your questions, you know, catch me between 3 and 3.30 or something like that. So it, it's just really setting those boundaries and using communication and words to, you know, let others know because, you know, the deal was that offending other people was in her head. They hadn't really told her. It was the story she told herself, right? Of course. And, you know, listen, if you think about it, if you're listening, I can't, I can't tell you how many times when I am not the expert that, that Lauren is, of course, but when I speak on time management, I can't tell you the number of people who are like, ah, I don't want to shut my door. And I'm like, put a smiley face on your door and say, I'm focusing right now. <laughs> I mean, you're just assuming that that because the door's shut, people are going to infer a certain thing. Well, control that. Put a sign on the door. Uh, So managing our distractions. And um, really, I want to toss this one in because I think, A, you and I talked about it earlier, and I also think it is never addressed. It's rarely addressed in time management. If you're listening and you struggle with watching TV, there is your time black hole right there. If you are, if you watch TV, even if it's below average, just give up TV for a week and see how much more you get done. And we're happier you are. I think the big goal, though, really, Sarah, on this whole productivity is like, why do we want to be more productive? What's the big why behind it? And my belief is it's not to get more stuff done, but it's really truly to be happier and less stressed. I want 
I'm on a one-woman mission for people to go to bed at night and say, you know what, I had a great day, I got done what I needed to get done, time to go to sleep. But what happens is we go to bed, we lay there, and we start thinking of all the things we didn't get done that day. And so we kind of put negative thoughts in our head, and in fact, we don't get restorative sleep because of that, right? So just, oh, I mean, that's why for- we're doing all this. And see, for my, for me, my why is I want my life to matter. I want my my life to count, and that's why the things that you talk about is, you know, what are you putting your hand to? What needs to be done right now? You know, how how are you managing your time? I mean, we're stewards. You don't even have to be a religious person to believe that we're stewards of the sands that we have been given the sands of time that we've been allotted. We're stewards of that. And so it's on us to manage our time. So, all right, last, but certainly not least again, uh, you know, if you're listening, of course, I agree 100% with everything Lauren says, <laughs> and that's why she's here today. But you, uh, your book there, I told you uh, when we were getting ready for the show that there was a page that I wanted to tear out and just frame it, uh, where it says, you know, you can't make or manage or run out of time. And too often, way too often in my world, uh, people will say they're going to do something and they don't. And I am a huge believer that I don't really pay attention to what people say. I pay attention to what people do. And so time management really, particularly in the, the context of your book, time management is about doing what you say you're going to do. And you call it, I love this phrase, by the way, capturing our promises. So will you talk about that and the power of follow-up and what that speaks to other people about us? Okay. So capturing our promises, oftentimes we will say things with good intentions that we're going to do something for someone, capture it. We don't write it down and we rely on our memory and generally we will forget that we made that promise. So when they're not capped, what happens is, again, it goes back to trust. It, you know, it actually erodes. So if I told you I was going to do something, I don't do it, and, you know, you're still waiting for me to do it, I mean, you have a different view of me. So my belief is how can you capture the promises you make, either, you know, paper calendar or electronic page, doesn't matter how you capture it, but it's that trigger that says, oh, yeah, what did I promise today I need? So I may need to spend 15 minutes, half an hour today, look at my little promise list, and then do that follow-up and send that out. Um, And when I do that, I'm known then for a go-to person. I'm known for following up. I'm known for detail. And really what what I've done is just create a system and a routine so that I do capture those promises. And here's what happens, Sarah, is that when we do that, you know, it again, it, it saves time because we're actually capturing it. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I believe, and I've found myself and others doing this, sometimes before those words even come out of your mouth, you think before you speak and you say, before I promise Sarah to send her X, it's going to take me a half an hour to create, do, when do I realistically have time to do that so that I can honor my promise? So it, you kind of stop the words before they come out of your mouth, and then you become more intentional about it. And sometimes you pull back that promise. You don't even – those words don't even come out because, you know, you have to make a promise. And that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. 
Yes, and and coupled with that, I think, um, you know, time management encompasses so much. It's it's about getting things done, and to your point, it's about personal peace. It's about peace of mind, peace of heart. It's about um, our character. I think it does play into. I mean, some of the sweetest people I know are horrible time managers, but I still think there's a, a an ability for us to, to become more powerful. And as you know, I'm all about power and control, and that's power and control over your own damn self. So, um, Folks, for those of you who are listening, I just want to remind you, my guest today is Lauren Midgley. Uh, we're talking about her third book. Is that correct? This is your third book? That's correct. Yes. And the yes. title is It's 6 a.m. and I'm already behind. And within this book, you will find 30 strategies to get caught up in a crazy busy world. There's so much we didn't even talk about. There's some email strategies. There's uh, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, how to schedule thinking time. Uh, one of my other favorites, of course, uh, knowing when to say no. So, uh, Lauren, tell folks a little bit more how they can connect with you directly because you do more than just speaking. You do coaching. You do uh, corporate training. You also uh, are working on your fourth book. So tell folks a little bit more about those things and how they can get in touch with you directly and also get their hands on these books you've written. So the best way to reach me would be at laurenmidgley.com. And uh, I my book is available through that website. Or it, what's easy to remember is it's 6ambook.com. And I would love to connect. And, again, I call myself a time behaviorist because it, it really uh, it, it makes my heart sing when I can help someone master their time. And, really, it's not time management. It's really attention and energy management, if you think about it. What do we put our energy toward and our attention and figuring out what matters most right now? So It's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, may, uh, I've got one. May I? May I read my favorite quote? Of course <laughs> you may. You are. You're the guest. You're like the the guest of honor. So yes, you may. Well, here here's what I believe, and this is at the heart of I think all for all of us. And it was a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was a 19th century poet philosopher. And I and he says this, and I was like, I believe this and live it every day. So it goes like this: Finish each day and be done with it. You've done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. Begin it well and serenely and with too high of a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. <laughs> I so love that's that. Classic. That's great. That is great. And that is such a great uh, ending for the show today. So for, for folks who are listening, I just want to remind you, uh, my guest today has been Lauren Midgley. You can find her and her book by visiting Lauren Midgley, and that's spelled M-I-D-G-L-E-Y.com. And you will find a plethora of resources and how to get in touch with her directly and get her book. And I want to thank you for tuning in today, folks. Folks, these shows are by you, for you, and about you, and the topics that we discuss are things that you have either emailed me or Facebook messaged me or tweeted at me that you want Sarah Says to cover. So uh, today we have been talking about time management, Lauren Midgley at laurenmidgley.com, and until we get together again, my friends, you have been zinked.